Spellman. Dan Spellman. So if you hear a little wind, we're actually sitting on the very highest point of our uh, rooftop uh, existence. Of the rooftop, <laughs> overlooking the ominous city of uh, Mystical. Mystical. That, that was that was the word. Yeah. Cool. Put a good spin on it. Yeah. That's what you gotta do. <laughs> it's pretty. I mean, I've I've come up here before and it's just so like it is, like when you see the skyline lit up and it's just it's so magical. It's yeah. So much energy out there. But thank you for joining us of there. Of course, man. To, like, come hang out of course. I thought actually, you know what? I thought it was really cool because I, I had mentioned it to you, like coming onto the podcast and talking and like wanting to do some of this stuff, and you know I just kind of let it go. And, and some people like I really want to get them on, and then it doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. So I thought it was really cool when you hit me up, and I was like, oh, that's, like even you even remembered that I was going to do it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Want, like the little details, and it like warms my heart. And I was like, oh man, this person wants to do this, so let's do it. And I haven't had anything recently. Uh, that I put out, and I'm just been going through a lot with the creative process yeah. and being pulled in different directions. Like, oh, this script idea, oh, this play idea, like writing, and, and all this different stuff. And, and and I get pulled away, and I really needed to come back and find a focus, which I know the focus is this podcast. Well, I think sometimes. Well, that's great. That's great that you have that. I think sometimes people. Like, there's a tendency to put the negative connotation on things when things are difficult. But I think it's always, like, my dad, who's not creative at all, he's very logistically minded and, like, mathematically, like, geared, blue-collar worker, worked his way up through things, provided for his family. Um, It was him that actually put my whole spin on life and art into perspective from the fact that I had to move home one summer, um just because like I just didn't I didn't have anything going on in New York and um I spent that summer you know kind of shuffling around with my brother's like horses um they were big into like western and English riding and whenever I wasn't doing that I was waitressing and so I felt that same like lull of like there is nothing stimulating me I'm so pulled away from everything I want to be doing artistically like just life in general and my dad's the one that like saw me down at one of these horse shows and he was like Sam you realize that every one of these moments you have life experiences things that seem meaningless or trivial to you are really just an experience that that you've gained that someone else doesn't have a perspective on like you can you might use this for like an acting role someday or you might use this for a story one day and you'd be able to not have to look it up on google you'd know what it's like to be at a horse show you'd know what it's like to serve people in a restaurant that you hate like and that didn't sink in for maybe a couple months later but like as soon as it did changed my whole perspective not just on art but in life in general of like you know you can't you can't attain certain successes or things we attribute to goals are not permanent things they're they're temporary things like happiness happiness cannot be a goal it's it's something to exist in to have but it's not it's not permanent it is it is in and it's out there's states yeah it's it's not a noun really it's just it's it's an adjective it's a it's a temporary place so like once i kind of took his took his words to really heart of what that meant it made it made life just a little bit easier because it's like look if 
the, the whole fear for writers of like having writer's block sometimes is the biggest secret little gift you can get because like it might be that life is pulling you into something it's totally different. You're not writing for X, Y, Z amount of months, but you're living in a circumstance that at some point in time, you'll be able to sit behind a typewriter, behind a computer, and like really just lay out something that nobody else has a perspective on. And I think that's just the most freeing thing is that your art really is your life. And, and life. Yeah. And yeah. so living it is, you can't look at it as a bad thing sometimes. Sometimes you just got to let it happen and then trust yourself and trust your artistic side to say, one day I'm going to come back to this and, and, and really make something count of that experience. And even if you don't, say you live your whole life and you, you never write that story about the horse show you were in or, or whatnot, that's okay. I'd, yeah. I'd rather just have lived a life than have wasted hours on a time trying to create something that, that is art, you know? See, what I find fascinating about what you're saying, the experiences, right? So I've, I'm sure just like you, I've had various different experiences in my life that each experience in itself, if you were to put a different type of character in there, would be a, a script or a story yeah. in itself. But as I started to like, I started to write my story from like birth, and I probably got like ten thousand words in, and I I realized in that moment that I was still attached to these experiences. Yeah. So like, I it was almost as if like like I, I was holding like I'm holding on to these experiences because wow, they're so profound, and, and I have this goal and this dream of making a movie, of making shows, of being an entertainer, of being an actor, not necessarily like going out and trying to get gigs, but just knowing inside that that's who I am, and it's like this, you know, but also that balance of, how do I say, knowing that, like, obviously I'm a writer, like, I, I get it, I can't yeah. time, I'm getting better at it. Mm-hmm. But being able to separate yourself from the experiences, enjoy the experiences for what they are, and not want to, like, oh, I can take this from it. Oh, I can take this from it. Yeah. Like, like this little line or something. Well, that, that, that's sometimes, though, because, like, look, when the big conversation of, like, most artists, non-artists, free thinkers alike is, like, does art is art necessary for our survival or our continuum? Can we live without art? Um, you can say no, because in some ways it's something external that doesn't provide us any kind of basic primitive necessity. But at the same time, even if you abstract every painting, book, film, everything that's ever existed that's considered art in a tangible form, you can still call art watching a sunrise and getting a joy out of it. You can still look at the world or human beings or seeing a smile and it making you sm- like those little intangible moments. I consider those art. And and so it's in one way you can't burden yourself with the fact that you take these life experiences and want to turn them into art because to you they already are art. So you're trying to share that experience with other people. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to take a moment and instantly be like, I need to capture this. It's, it's, it's when you're trying to, as an artist, grow and discern which moments 
are to be captured and which moments are to be left as just a moment is where we really grow as artists, I think, personally. Um, and I have this, um, the filmmaker, what's his name? Um, guy that, that did the first Reformed and um, Taxi Driver, um, Paul, Paul, uh, what's his name? Um, look, look at... <laughs> <laughs> Technology. Hey Siri, uh, who created Taxi? Driver. Who wrote Taxi Driver? Siri, who created Taxi Driver? Bernard Hoffman. No, not the song. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who Siri, wrote? Who, who wrote Taxi Driver the movie? 1976. Uh, Martin Scorsese. Who was the director? Of course, didn't um, say the writer on it. Just can you click into it? Yeah, let's see. Uh, <laughs> All right, and then. No, don't More, more. Uh, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, hold All right. on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it on pause for a second. Alright, Paul Schrader, right? So he, because um, I have gone through this similar thing of like, especially with my, with my brother, what he's gone through. Yeah. Um, no, my, my brother's not, but uh, writing about our experience. Yeah. Um, was all it always didn't feel right like I could journal about it sure day-to-day -day things yeah. and there's certain moments that I'm like this is very cinematic or yeah. like these are things that like story-wise could be elements yeah. but it net the story itself didn't always make sense to me and I went through many and still am going through many variations of like what is the story I'm telling with it and Paul Schrader I heard him talk about his experiences when he writes things and every time he has a film about his mom he has a film about his dad and he's considering this film about his brother and his problem he thinks the two films that he made about his mom and dad are the worst films he's ever done and when asked why he was like because there wasn't enough of a metaphorical distance Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, all those big films that he did, there was a underlying theme to the story that he created this fictitious thing around it that was very real-based, real life experience-based, but distanced enough that he could fill in the gaps. When he tried to write things that were pinpoint on the people and the experiences he went through with those people, he found it so difficult and challenging and wasn't really happy with the result because he was like, this is my real life that I'm trying to depict in a, uh, an art form. And I, that made so much sense to me. That resonated something with me of like, when I try to make the stories that are based on my family, they always have this catch of like, I'll go through sessions with them for hours and hours and feel so good. And then something will come up and I'm instantly like, everything's crap. And <laughs> how do I get back to this excitement I had of it? Um, and I haven't and totally figured out what the, what the rhyme or reason is for me um, as to how to overcome that. Sometimes I, I think I'm just gonna let it play out the way that I've started and whatever the outcome just be happy that I went for it and put 
you know, something on page that was blank before. But um, it's definitely an interesting concept to be like, it makes sense. It makes sense when things are too close. You're not a, you're not an a, an abstract viewer yeah, on it to create it. Yeah. So that's why when I was saying that, like, certain experiences and, and writing and, like, oh, um, I, I, I wanted to try and, like, David Lynch, I think, in his master class, and say, you know, it's like a, a screenplay or a movie has 70 scenes. So when you have 70 scenes, you have a feature. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll go through and I'll just write scenes. And I wrote the first scene, which was me sitting in a prison cell because yeah. I've been physically, uh, physically abused my ex-girlfriend at the time. So the scene was great. But then I started to, like, go right into my whole past. And I started to go into all these things that got me to this, which is the whole entire story of my life. No, yeah. And so then I started going through and I started going like, and nothing was making sense. And I, I was like, what the fuck? And, but at the same time, I realized that I had an expected result of that I wanted to inspire people. Once I was like, I'm creating this because I want to have uh, it, an inspiring story to share with other people, to inspire them about uh, redemption. Like, you can come from super low places, and you can rise, and you can accomplish your dream. But I realized, because I had this expected result, and people get what they want from art. Oh, yeah. You have to remove yourself from it, and I'm still so attached to my story. Well, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, especially with film, where there's so many hands in the kettle, and it is, at the end of the day, as much as it is an art, and is taken that way from the audience, in the process, development through to, you know, actual distribution, it is a business. So you, at a certain level, have to protect yourself in a way, because it will go through the ringer of... It is not just it is not just art to so many people in it yeah. to so many people and us included because we both been you know on the the production side of things yeah. PA you yeah, know yeah, uh, grip yeah, everything yeah, uh, art art department you know you, you know that it's a job sometimes for people sometimes yeah. they just take it as a job to to feed their family so to to, to fund you. things I, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry no, no 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 go 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 <laughs> I was gonna say that's why it's so important like for me. That's why whenever, whatever I create, or if there's something that's created, I will have complete creative control over it. Yeah. Like, I, there's no way that I'll allow a baby to be manipulated and to be uh, manipulated in a certain way that isn't what I originally thought. And that might be just me being hard-headed because I haven't had that opportunity. Yeah. And, like, looking at a big paycheck or something. Well, you know? we all do. I mean, like, and it's good to keep that outset, I think, through it. Because, yeah. you know, who am I to give all the end-all advice of, of everything? But, yeah. I mean... I look back on why I'm still in pursuit of this career, even with the the craziness I've been in, in the gamut of it, playing the lowest of the lowest part on a film set. And I still think back to the kids sitting in front of a TV, like an old, old TV, watching Jaws or watching, like... Uh, Scooby-Doo or whatnot and being like this for this moment is the most important thing I could be doing with my life and this this movie is like is everything to me and you know I've obviously grown beyond sitting in front of a TV screen to like make life matter but it's it's that kid that like why you keep in pursuit of making something it's not for the the people that are going to take it and be like I don't like it or take it 
Yeah, kind of. It's like what's your why? I I started to find I started to find my purpose of like I I won't say life because I think it's much more meta than that. But as to what I want to be doing while I'm here, the thing that's gonna, you know, push me every day to get up and be active and engaging in the world and trying to be a part of it for a positive way is, is film. Some people, it is it is other things like architecture, like engineering, whatever. And sometimes it's just survival, and really, it's for for people, it's just family that gets them up every day. But for me. I think the thing that I'm actively doing is is film, and um, I I know no matter what pathways my life takes or a career takes, like I, I I'm pretty confident that that that'll always stay there because that kid is always there in in me. So. Yeah. I remember when we were doing that, we met each other in the office a while ago. Yeah, oatmeal, Quaker Oats. Quaker Oats. Or never. Like, nobody knows where those yeah, things that, go. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen any of the commercials that I've ever watched. I've seen two. I think I've seen two or three. But other than that, I don't seek them yeah, out. Yeah, I don't. I don't seek them out either. Like, yeah, if I'm not, like, if I don't have TV that way. Like, no. I remember you talking about uh, your grandfather. And your grandfather yeah. seemed to be like such a a huge inspiration in your life. Mm. You want to talk about your grandfather? Yeah, sure. Can I um, talk about the, Yeah. Like the rolling with the rolling. Mm-hmm. Is really impossible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys can hear this stuff. Yeah. It's brisk. Um, yeah, well, it's meant to be this way, I think, maybe. Um, yeah, so my grandfather, I don't know when exactly, exactly he became such a big part of my life. He was always there and present and obviously influencing me in ways that I don't remember, but... There was definitely a point in time that I started to grow into myself a little bit more. That, you know, you know, nature versus nurture or whatnot. I, I genuinely believe I started to find the things that I believed in and the the questions I was raising on my own, and they just happened to be in tandem with the things that he was questioning and 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 pursuing, and that gave us the bond that we had. Because um, you know, I love my every single member of my family. But we very, very, very greatly in our interests, in our, our, our minds, in what we spend our, our downtime doing. And so to have somebody that also had the same kind of political views on like a, you know, a, a basic term, but also like just philosophically wanting to find more depth in the world around us that's something that he and I were able to like grow in together of him being this perpetual student in his like 70s and me being you know uh, an actual student at the time and uh you know it just I, I don't even know like he was not a great man in my mom's like growing up which is always yeah, in my mom's 
story of life like she had a little trouble with how close we got because to him to her she he was always like the father that like really didn't give her attention and really was more involved in her her brother's lives than he ever was hers and also the guy that like all of a sudden decided not to be working in society and like fall off the face of the planet and like just read books and um read books ride his bike like run like that play tennis like that was kind of his thing and um and I get it I get I get where my mom's coming from and like I do like even as my my grandpa gets older he's much more hermited like the times that I've invited him to come up to New York to spend time with me and see my world which is so important to me and like our growth he's not done that and like I I get that and like it's hard there's heartache there but like I do respect his choices in life and I can't hold it against him because you know nobody in my family is like me in the sense that I like to be out of my apartment every day going and doing something or I like to sit for hours at a time talking to nobody but the characters in my head so like you know I get it I get it but we shared in some kind of because we could just have conversations you know like I think I think there's something really special about just being able to sit with someone and just talk out your ideas or the things you're questioning without, yeah, without judgment and like someone having to be right at the end of the conversation. Like I love a lot of my friends, but they're always looking to give me an answer or prove that they're right in something. And I'm not always someone that needs to be right. And this is, this might sound egotistical, but it's coming from my grandpa. So I, it is the most proud like statement I've ever received. (laughs) But, you know, like, I'll go through these tangents on ideas or whatnot that I have. And I'll always end these long soliloquies with, like, I don't know, like, I I don't know anything. Like, these are just, these are just my opinions. Like, I, at the end of the day, I don't know anything. And he's like, you know, Socrates, his, the the one reason why everybody equated him to being the most brilliant, like, wise person that walked the earth was because he admitted in his like bookended his life with like I don't know anything like this is just how I see the world kind of thing and that's true wisdom of like no matter how much accomplishments you come upon or things that have gained you yeah the perspective of something at the end of the day it's just it's just uh hearsay it's just your opinion um and like even with science or or whatnot. There's things that are quantifiable, but they're also constantly being disproven and they're constantly being rearranged. Um, our body and biology is changing. Like the world is changing. So I just that's something that I admire the most. Is I like that, I don't think that's egotistical because well, being equated to the the most like wise man on earth, yeah, I think, is well, maybe okay. Well, okay. but. <laughs> I like when I look on Twitter, and it's something that I am constantly reminding myself of because of the certain spiritual experiences I've had on my on, on the journey I've been on, especially with psychedelics and working with ayahuasca and LSD and mushrooms and DMT natural extract. These certain things put you in experiences that you um, think you know something, and then I have this issue where I do kind of it's not that I want to be right. 
Yeah, and it's kind of always been in the ground, like no matter what, what someone's like spiritual status is to say, um, it's always kind of been in the groundworks, no matter where you, what your background is, because like you look at Christianity and one of the biggest reliefs in the story or the biggest frustrations is that there's clearly written like there are unknowables like the things that are written in these pages are not the end all and there will be things that you don't understand even to your last breath kind of thing and you know that's similarly said for Judaism Catholicism and even with Buddhism where people take the misconception that like in that you can achieve light enlightenment that doesn't necessarily mean that it's in a universal enlightenment that every question is solved once you reach that platform it's still an individualistic enlightenment your individual enlightenment might not be the same for XYZ person but it can still be considered enlightenment and that's what I think is like something great to have for people to have faith because you're in pursuit of something of what is what is the purpose of life in yeah a grander sense like I'm reading this I'm reading this book for maybe the third time definitely the second man's search for meaning and it's by Viktor Frankl um, who you know I don't always like to like I think it's very uh um, very well explored topic with uh, the the Jews and what they had to go through with World War II that sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm done with that story like that sounds so bad but like sometimes I I want to hear a new plot line I want to hear a new, a new perspective because there's been so much tragedy or there's been so much beauty in the world that like same like the way I feel of like how we shoot in New York and, and set everything in New York way too much when there's like there's New Orleans, there's there's Philadelphia, there's Cleveland, like all these places we don't explore very much um, that can gain us the same kind of, you know, story or theme or whatever, the next big Oscar or whatnot. Um, but Viktor Frankl, one, one thing that makes his book different from everything else I've read is that he's very much just take, he, well, for one, he was in the concentration camps through, through that, that time and you know came out on the other side of it or whatnot but he writes about it in a way that it's he's just taking this 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 thing and applying it to everything in life he's not yeah you know he's kind of saying um you know what that reminds you that brings to the the symbolism of what that experience is and that's something that we all personally can do we take our personal experience that's something actually I do Mm -hmm. I take my personal experiences and then I like I try to extend them into what's going on externally yeah so the the internal is creating the external mm-hmm. there's something I, I completely I completely am on board with that I think yeah, um, right. mm, I don't I don't know if I have it exactly but there's there's, I mean, he basically pinpoints the same thing of like what I experienced through my brother's tragedy of it. Um, 
I mean, it would probably take me a while because there's so many notes in this book of, of things. <laughs> but, you know, he kind of, he's one of the first people that takes his this majorly traumatic experience yeah. that, like, on textual basis and physically experiencing it is large in the yeah. grand scheme of what most people go through in yeah. a lifetime. Yeah. Um, but he points out, like, as much as I recognize how bad this situation was in comparison to most people's situations, you can't, it's, it's not the same kind of weight. It's not quantifiable in that way. My tragedy is only circumstantial to me. Like, if you are going through something that is as simple as I have a broken arm and I'm a baseball player, like, that could be the same like if you put it on a scale it'll weigh the same it's like that philosophy yeah. of like a, a, a hundred pounds of feathers weighs the same as a hundred pounds of of lead you know they they might be different things but they could weigh the same yeah. for you and I think that's kind of where I've always tried to put my friends um, my friends own tragedies into perspective and I fail a lot through that because I'm a selfish creature as we all are but um, just because mine might be made of lead and yours might be made of feather, they weigh the same. And you can't, you can't quantify what tragedies are. Like, they are your experiences and you have to cope with them. And they teach you something just as, as someone else's tragedy teaches them something. It, yeah. If you allow it to be a teacher. Right. Yeah, that's that's more up to, you know, the person's choice or whatnot. Yeah. But, like, when I hear my friends always devalue the things that they're going through and when they talk to me about their problems because of what I've been going through, I instantly try to stop them of, like, look, I might not be able to respond very well because of my own tragedy, but you cannot, you cannot undermine what you're going through because it seems less than what I'm going through. Um, I I definitely have felt that before, you know, I, I never went through heavy, heavy tragedy, but I did go through some experiences that led me down a very weird place in my life, and when I would look around and go, who am I, like, who am I to think that this was trauma? Who am I, you know what I mean, like, in comparison to what other people go through, and, and I definitely, definitely been there, and it, that place sucks, you know, because you... It, it doesn't allow you to be able to heal. It's actually no, it, 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 it stunts you. It's yeah. the idea of, like, if, you, you know, I, that's why I think so many, like, lifetime servants, uh, people in non-for-profit sectors or whatnot, yeah. they're not able to really sustain it or they find great holes in their own life because they're so worried about the problems of others that they can't really reflect very well on what's going on with them. And I'm not not belittling that no, career I, path I, at all I, but I, I it's 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 just i think there's there's a balance you have to, like the whole thing of lady justice being blindfolded um you at a certain point in your own life have to have a blind ignorance to certain things around you or else you won't be able to process the things that are happening to you you know if you're always looking at the external stimuli as guide to how you are dealing with your own stuff it's never going to match up because they're not always the same. Um, you know, it, and I think that's just an important lesson that 
nobody teaches you in like a school a school format. No, I mean that's something that you've experienced, and, and I think it's so awesome that you just said that because that is such a huge trap within the school community and school world. I want to help other people, and what and, and it, like you just said, it creates that hole. And I was one of those people. I started a nonprofit in Miami. I wanted to help all these local communities, uh, the local artists and local inner city kids. And I just gave, I gave, I gave, I gave. And I created the toll. And like I was saying earlier, that's what led me into a prison zone, being very angry and, and being physical with my girlfriend at the time. Yeah. And I see that this projection of, of wanting to help, of wanting to help, is a, is a lack of, it's projecting what we actually need for ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people might not, in the nonprofit might not even know that, that that's what's going on, you know, and then all of a sudden you find yourself frustrated, angry, why am I not doing it, why is this not happening, da 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 and you get burnt out. Yeah. you got to take that time, put that blindfold on, and come to all, yeah. yeah, and come to yourself. And, and I think that's why so many people nowadays, and like prior, like who am I to say nowadays, but um, in what? In, in, like in in our existence, why meditation is more and more become something that people are really fundamentally being like, oh, there's a strength in that yeah. because, I mean. As much as we are external creatures, we, we f- live and thrive on other people or in, you know, things that, that, that allow us to, you know, grow in ourselves. There is something about what is inside that you have to address at some point in your life. And if you don't, the longer that you put that aside and the longer you, you don't face it, the harder it's going to be it's to really have an understanding of what that is just as like how you might always want to be an artist your whole life but if you're not the kid that your parents or or yourself like learned the fundamentals when you were a child and then just kept growing with it once you're an adult and you're trying to become the artist you've always wanted to be it seems much more impossible because you have to you have to go back to the fundamentals. You have to paint those apples, those bananas, those those corner, those shades. You have to really lay the foundation in order to, to figure out what what is your art. Like what is what's your medium? Like where's your strokes? Like what what Yeah. That's why that's why there's like few and far between people that pick up guitar and are actually talented talented musicians in their 50s and their 60s like you know that it's always it's always more of a challenge once you've lived more life and you have more responsibility and more um you know more weight to carry so um i i I recognize greatly that i'm very blessed to be as young as i am and start asking these questions and i think that's why i relate to going back to my grandpa because he did he was not somebody that asked these questions or thought these thoughts until he hit a later part in his life and he's one of the few that took that recognition and then said i'm gonna go full head into it and really did become the master painter as an adult you know kind of thing but um inspiring story to in a way yeah in a way I mean some people would look at his hermit lifestyle of living off his social security checks and and re, you know just reading books and and biking all day is something that's none adding to society or humanity but yeah, like but for his you yeah and what you're doing is so, adding so to, uh, adding you know 
I, I think I've come to a pretty, at, at this point in my life, I've come to a pretty big realization that, you know, Samantha Spellman, right? The alliteration yeah. for, you know, most superheroes have that, yeah. that alliteration in their yeah. name. And I always wanted to be that, that, that Spider-Man, Peter Parker kind of person that could change the world on a massively direct scale or like a, a quantifiable scale. Um, and then I really started to think, well, that's not that's not it like the quote from Gandhi of like be the change you want to see in the world doesn't mean you can change the world it means like be that change and you can change your world like you start the ripples and you might not be there to see the impact you might not see it reach shore in your lifetime but just you know trust that the the little droplets that you've made have have continued on and I think that it's pretty evident in the the as much as there will always be pushback, um, there, there, there is a, there is a direction we're moving to. That you see it in technology. I don't know. I, th I think that's one of the unknowns. Is that yeah. there is no, there is no end all. There is no utopia. Yeah. I don't think that's ever going to be a thing. I just think that there is, life is getting a little bit better for some people, and it's starting to become a gravitated by the majority and I think that's a move in a good direction as much as we have all these things going on in the news in our world around us and whatnot I think we're still moving in the right direction because like we're we're trying to hold each other accountable more and yeah taking responsibility and being held accountable there will always be shady deals behind closed doors there will always be bad people in the world you know yeah. doing bad things they're not necessarily bad people but bad things happening yeah. but i think there's more of a push for people to start focusing on why why do we want to be good or like what is it that we are all here together for and i think that's a good move in the right direction so when you say that, I think about what you're saying with enlightenment and those fundamental questions as a society, right? So when you have uh, more people asking these, like, what's my purpose? What is the meaning of this? All these fundamental questions that are enlight like questions on the path to enlightenment, it's really, uh, it's beautiful. Like you said, we're heading into that positive, we're heading in a right direction, no matter how much people want to say the world's going to shit or this, that, and the other. More people are asking these questions. More people are meditating. Spirituality has become more on a mainstream. Yeah, and in not a wrong way. Like, because yeah. you can look back in history and you can see more religious and more spiritual times by their definition of their presence in society and you could say those were more religious times those were more spiritual times but something that I'm reminded of in my own faith in pursuit of faith and I'm you know for whoever's listening and doesn't know I still identify as a Christian like I grew up in that faith but I chose it for myself and found it and as much pushback as there can be within the textual basis and the, the religious context, um, something that clearly stands out to me and my faith is not looking at Jesus Christ or like heaven and hell as, a, as an end all, as like these actual you know objects that that define my faith but like what the real point of it is you know of of the one time that god really lists himself in the biblical text that also carries to 
Catholicism and Judaism is he says, I am that I am. Like when asked what it is, um, he or she or, or multiple, he's like, I am that I am. Like I can be whatever, I can carry many names. To me that means like I am that I am, um, I will be that which I will be. Um, it, it encompasses a lot of different faith-based things. And then the second part of why I still identify in Christianity is because if you really boil down the point of Jesus, right, whether or not he existed or, 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 or didn't, um, it wasn't to serve this like salvation on a cross. Like, oh, fitting, because it's Easter. Um, but he wasn't this get out of jail free card of now all of a sudden you don't have to do all the loops. You don't have to jump through the loops or whatnot to get this salvation. Um, here I am free and willing, it was more to represent like what is what is the meaning of life, what is the point of this faith, is love. Like his life was very Bob Marley-esque, if you really read it in the text and, do, and don't take the obstruction of who's writing it, but just like what he was doing, he tore down the chapels, he tore down the temples and was like, this is wrong. When his dis own disciples constantly wanted to kick kids out of his like little discussions, he was like, no, kids should sit right here. Like, and when people came against the, the homosexuals, the lepers or whatnot, the women, like he was like, no, we're all together in this. We are all equal. Like who can you say to the, th like whoever is sinned, uh, who's not sinned, throw the first stone. Nobody throws the first stone in things. And he never wanted to be on a pedestal preaching to people. He wanted to have a conversation like we're doing now. And what do we see in the religious institutions? We still see Sunday schools. We still see, we, we still, still see a, a large majority of pastors being male we still see pastors speaking upon a pedestal um there's like it's crazy how much christianity like christ is actually termed but we don't really follow the groundworks that he laid in terms why of why, why do you think that because it's easier to have structure it's easier to have structure than to have a free-for-all and to not be like, here's a clear leader in our thing. Because when you have someone in a leadership role, there's always the influence of power. Like, we are imperfect creatures. And that itself is laid out in many texts of like, man is imperfect. We are going to fail. That is, that is humanity. So when you put them in leadership roles, there is an inevitability of like, most men and women won't stand up to the task of, of remaining pure or remaining uninfiltrated. Like Martin Luther King, who was in that leadership role, still had faults to him, still was not faithful to his wife always. Like he is a great man and I admire him greatly, but there are faults in that, you know? And, and, and you have to recognize that I think as part of who we are. Um, and I, I think that's something that you can put on Christ as well, that he had faults as well. Um, but I think his more example and the thing that, that is attributed to, to Christianity more than most faiths is that if you really boil it down, his purpose was to say, forget what is the text, forget what is, is, is the rules and structure. The real purpose of life and meaning is, is love. Like greater than all these is love. 
Um, and which is funny because like I, I will read yeah, something yeah, specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is the 37th page in this Man's Search for Meaning book that is 160 pages. So it is very early on um, that he kind of answers the title of his, his book or whatnot. But he says, um, uh, a thought transfixed me for the first time in my life. I saw the truth as it is set into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers. The truth that love is the ultimate and the highest goal to which man can aspire. Then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is through love and in love. I understood how a man who has nothing left in this world still may know bliss, be it only for a brief moment in the contemplation of his beloved. And there's still a lot of depth to go through in this book, but that 37th page in, like that is what I've always believed, having not read this book prior to my idea of that, but like in tandem, like I, I really do genuinely think that the closest thing we're gonna come to what is the meaning of life is love. And it comes in many different ways, shows itself in many different faces, can be to one another, of oneself, of, of an art, of a thing or whatnot, but like the love is the love is there and you know he kind of puts it out that it's it's not a goal like entirety but it is something that you can believe in and exist in for as long as you can and when you fail you can come back to it when you when you don't feel like there is hope there is still love and that you know i think that's that's the way i want to attribute my life and and push to others and and I think if people live through that philosophy, they'd find a lot more commonality with each other, no matter what they attribute their actual faith or what they attribute their actual culture. It's, it's something unifying because we all have experienced it or crave it in some capacity. Um, I have to be a better listener. I so much I, like. I know, I love it, and I, I genuinely love listening to you talk. It's great. Yes. I grew up in. I grew up in the private school. I definitely heard uh, by my mom, and because that's what they thought would be the right image. You know, it's not a bad thing. But I just, there was just so many things that I just rejected it. I just rejected yeah. it. And coming back full circle, you know, Joseph Campbell was kind of the one that yeah, yeah. helped me get into this thing of no matter what religion is out there, it's all one divine energy. So the mask of eternity, right? Because all these religions are essentially just a mask for one divine energy, which is love. Yeah. Love comes through, like, all these with their, they're projecting with love. But it gets so distorted with man and No, and it does. And all of that. But Joseph Campbell really helped me kind of accept that, that aspect, because I, I hadn't, I rejected Christianity, and I was like, I didn't know how to look at God and, and this sort of thing. Is there a God, heaven and hell? And well, Joseph really just kind of helped me with that. Don't get me wrong, like, that's why, as much as I, t to make things simple, have given myself a label of Christianity, and I, you know, 
I attribute myself to certain things of that faith still. Um, I am not institutional. I am yeah. spiritual, but I'm not institutional. You won't see me in a church always to to I don't get rejuvenated in a church so much as I get rejuvenated in my conversations with a divine power that I believe has has given me this this world has given me this breath this life um, that's what I recognize and affiliate myself with it's not this it's not the 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 steeple yeah, and the chapel and the image of what because that's that's when there starts to become and don't get me wrong like I know I've been in churches where there is some really good great things and great people doing good things there but um, I, I, I think that moving into these new new world of things especially with technology there there needs to be more power on the individual taking a responsibility for their faith than just having this safety net of Sunday church of, of having this safety net of, of a heaven once you start treating your faith as something that is as uh, an end all like I'm living my life but it won't really matter because I'm gonna guarantee guaranteed an eternity with Christ like that's that's not that's not right that's not that's not the purpose of having a life. You're given a life for a reason. As much as whatever's gonna come after it, there's something in there and there's there's power in whatever's after. Um, but you can't treat your life as just this thing that can be wasted. Um, what's your, what's your, uh, what is heaven and hell to you? I, honestly, as much as I might have some little like fictional writings of it or explorations every once in a while like um i really don't worry about it like I, th I think you really shouldn't i think that if it's in if it's in a text that 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 it exists like that's great and uh i i sure would love to close my eyes and breathe my last breath and something to be after but uh, honestly i i i don't really care like i i'm living my life to pursue to heaven on earth kind of thing um I think my heaven is here, and and I'm I'm living my life in through a place of love as best as I can, and I think that will be gained in something that comes after. And as to hell, like I live in the philosophy that God or or, or God's um, many presents, um, I think they're merciful, and if if their real purpose to give to us is love, then I can't. I can't foresee a total uh, torture of of a hell. Um, hell might be something, but I don't I don't put my stock in that place. I don't put my stock. I think hell. I mean, I, with the heaven, I, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. Um, that's why you shared that with me before. I think heaven is hell. I think heaven is hell. Yeah, I, I think, think, yeah. You know, I, like, I of myself, and I see the hell that I've been through, and I know I'm not going to Well, you can see, I mean, look, if you, if you really want to, like, take Re Revelations, that big old bad book in like, the, in the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you can take it in, 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 yeah, please do. Um, you can take it in many ways, like, the, the the tangible scientific idea that we uh, might 
be the cause of Earth's slow demise from climate change and global warming, that we're an adding factor to progress the death of Earth or whatnot. Um, the, the Earth will flood, um, will, you know, life will, that we know might end, but by the osmosis of science, there is a big projection that the waters will subside, that climate will balance out, that, that land will resend, like that the plants will grow again, that there might be a new creation that comes to inhabit this earth, or there might be another planet that establishes a new life. And Revelations dictates that the world will end and there will be a new er world. Like that is the words they use is new world, new earth. And some people take that to be a literal heaven will reside on a, a planetary um, plane, um, no longer in this this spiritual realm. Um, but you could also take it into maybe it's a projection on the the world will have that natural process, that natural osmosis of a new existence. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot to be said in that. You take the Bible with a grain of salt in, in certain ways. Like, I, I very much... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good, man, I'm good. Very good. Um, I just... I just think that, like... It, there's, there's a... There's a frustration and a pleasure in the fact that there's unknowns. It excites me, just like the way that I view this misty cloud, you know, phase day as mystical rather than ominous. I think that's how you kind of got to view what's the questions of, of what's after is like you can view it desolate and without hope um, or you can view choose to view it as something that is exciting and unknown and, and creates mystery. <laughs> so, no, I mean, it's that asshole mentality. I refuse to see the world as going to shit. I see it going in the right direction. That's, that's just my choice. That's how I choose to see the world. You know yeah. I, mean? I, I, I refuse to go down that road of the victim of, of all those negative energies that we can like look at the world in a negative aspect. You know? I, okay. There's plenty of times to be upset with circumstances. It's not a bad, it's a human thing, not a bad thing to be mad, to be angry, to be sad, to be... When it consumes you, when it consumes you, if you need to act it out, like I, I, I try to pass on to my brother that like the, the times in my life that I've held in everything that I felt and made it something internal and, and only internal is when I've hit my lowest rock bottoms. But the times that I've allowed myself to, you know, go safely and, and break a plate or like scream out in the universe or or just be ang allow myself to be angry for a moment it gets out there and then it's over with and it's done and I've gained something um, and I just think you know I got my family actually we got in a huge fight um, Christmas Eve this year and it was a bad one like it was real bad and we're still processing the recovery process from it but it all started with this conversation that's been said again and again and again about my brother, about how he just needs to eat better. Like, I don't know why your parents are, are letting him eat so poorly or, or sit around all day. And I'm like, you know what? Like, it, you can't put that on my parents' judgment that because that, we have three other siblings that grew up perfectly functioning and, and well, well involved in their own lives. 
as to why my brother is the one person that's having a struggle with his dietary and health situations. And, and then my sister so kindly as I was getting angry in the situation was like, let's just switch the subject. Like, let's not talk about it. Let's not talk about it. And then I slapped, I snapped fully and was like, no, that's the problem with this family is that we don't want to face those questions. We don't want to have arguments. We don't want to get angry. We don't want to express ourselves and go through a problem or, or solve something or learn something about each other, even though it's sometimes hard to hear. And, and then that spiraled into the problems that my sisters had with my mom, which my brothers had with my mom, that, my, that I've had with my dad, that like all these things. And it ended up in this crying, angry fest that in that moment felt like the worst thing possible. But it, start, it was a planted seed on how we love each other and care about each other so much we don't want to see it just become this facade of that we've been given this family and that everything should seem happy all the time. Um, that we really want to be able to be the ones that when things get tough, when the shit hits the fan, that we can come to each other and be honest and let it, and let that, 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 that growth happen. Let ourselves really be able to say to other people, yeah, I'm close with my family. Like, and, and that was a real eye-opening experience for everyone. And um, and it's funny because, you know, there's still traumas there that still have to be dealt with. Like, it wasn't too long after that that I got a DUI, um, massive DUI, that I could have almost died. And I got arrested and I went through the process of it. And t in one hand, like, I was the hardest person and still am the hardest person through going that experience. When I made that call from the police station to my mom to come pick me up, the only thing that my mom and dad did when they saw me um, was hug me, that I was alive and that I was okay. And they, they continued days after and through going through my hearings and whatnot to be like, you are so blessed, like you are so loved, like this is, this is one thing. And like, yes, they are totally right. And I've gained something from having gone through that. I still, that is still a memory that I, I, I like to keep in my back pocket so that I never go to that place again. Um, but that's a trauma that like, we are learning better to deal with of like, why did I have a DUI in the beginning? Like, why did I get in? Yeah. And honestly, like, to, to, to be all, to be all admitted, like yeah. I do res like accept responsibility for that decision to get behind the wheel. But at the same time, like so much more so, I did not feel drunk. I felt, I fell asleep. Like I will, n no doubt, like I, I had alcohol in my system, but it was largely cause I just made a poor decision and I fell asleep and there was consequences surrounding everything around it. But the reason why I was out to the, so late in the night rather than being at home in my bed sleeping, you know, that's the question that, like, I'm trying to explore with my family and be honest with. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. 
what what they what they experience, whether the family says no you're crazy, nothing's happening or whatever, being able to express how you feel to your family and also understand what your family has gone through, your parents have gone through in previous situations. It's yeah. so it's so important. It's so important and it's something that I've had to do myself facing my biggest monster with my father. Yeah. You know, what I went through and communicating and having to write letters and release this sort of stuff because if I didn't, I'm not going to get to experience life the way that I want to in love. I'm always going to have that hatred in my heart and it's there and we mask it. We mask it with drugs and alcohol and sex and excessive, um, um, excessivity. It's like... I don't know if I made if I'm making up. A no, word. no. I, th- I mean, like, I know what you're saying. It's the first steps in this journey called life is with your family, and whether or not that's with absence of them, yeah. um, or with a presence of them in a negative or positive way, it's. Um, it, it, it is, you can't deny the, 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 the starting blocks of your life. So, um, you know, some people I recognize that I'm much, I'm very, very blessed and fortunate to have the family situation that I do. Okay. But that just... Uh, go ahead. Go, no, you're good. I just, uh, we have, uh, I have a guest that just came here who's dropping up some mushrooms for me. Oh, cool. So, well, that, I have to pee as well. So, so okay, that's perfect. Yeah, and I, I love that. So I know you got to go. So um, thank you for being on the podcast and and being here. And yeah, yeah, it's my pleasure. So I look forward to having you on here again and have fun with your ladies and your friends and your coworkers tonight. Yeah, Royal Gay. Oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, peace out, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon. Ciao. <laughs>